chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. It is called Daivasura Sampad Vibhaga Yoga. In this chapter, Lord Krishna discusses Daivi and Asuri Sampad. Daivi means the divine traits, Asuri the demoniac traits. <coughs> See, this is what Bhagavad Gita is all about and that's what Mahabharata also is all about actually. The Mahabharata also is a battle between the Pandavas and Kauravas, where Pandavas represent the Devi Sampad, the divine tendencies, the Kauravas represent the Asuri or the demoniac tendencies. <coughs> this has been a theme in the Upanishad also. In the Bhrudharanika Upanishad, at one point there is a passage which says, Dvayaha Prajapatyaha Devascha, Asurascha. That Prajapati, the creator, has 
this twofold progeny, Devascha, Asurascha, Devata and Asura. Asura means demons. Devatas means gods. So gods are divine. So these are the two, two progenies. Sometimes they are called two, sometimes they are described as three also. Devatas, Asuras and Rakshasas also. In Bhagavad Gita, Devi, Asuri and Rakshasi. These three kinds of tendencies. The tendencies obtaining our mind. Which tendencies are in the form of different thoughts. These tendencies in the earlier chapters, like the seventh chapter, the ninth chapter, Lord Krishna described them as Devi, Asuri, Rakshasi. The seventh chapter which we studied in the morning, the Lord Krishna says, Namam Duskritino Muraha Prapadyante Naradhamaha. The worst among the human beings, whose nature it is to only perform evil deeds. It is nature of some people that they are only impelled to perform evil actions, actions which violate the values. Duskutinaha, whose nature it is to perform this kind of actions. Namam prabadyante, they do not worship me. Maya apahrutajnanaha, because their wisdom has been dropped away by maya, by delusion, by ignorance. The people's wisdom or the capacity to discern. Human beings, the distinction that the human being enjoys with reference to other living beings is that human being has the capacity to judge and to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is desirable, what is undesirable. This is a faculty of choice so that he can choose that which is desirable, that which will, which will help him. This capacity human being has. However, when a person lives a life of abusing the free will, then slowly this capacity is sacrificed. And then a time comes when a person makes always wrong choices. That is what his mind tells me to do. Perhaps that person thinks that is the right thing to do, but makes this kind of wrong choices, abusing the free will, violating the values. Duskrutinaha. We call these people the people whose nature it is to perform violated or vicious actions. Duskrutinaha. So Maya apahurta jnana because their wisdom is robbed away by what is called maya or delusion. Their vision is distorted and they see what is not there. They impose a value upon something which is not there and they want it. Like the famous uh, 
event with reference to the animals, there is this mirage water. An animal such as deer, thing takes it to be real water. What is mirage water is taken to be real water. And this poor thirsty animal runs towards it. More it runs, farther the water seems to recede. So this is called delusion, taking what is an appearance to be real. Because this poor animal does not have the capacity to discern between the real water and the appear, apparent water. So also people have been studying them. This is a whole chapter meant for them. But there are these people whose nature it is to only perform vicious actions in violation of the values. Lord Krishna says, they never worship me. Maya, aparata jnanaha, asuram, bhavamasitaha, because they have resulted to the demoniac tendencies. <clears throat> in contrast, that also we discussed in the morning, in contrast, there are those whose nature it is to perform virtuous deeds. Lord Krishna says, they worship me. <clears throat> Thus, human being possesses these tendencies, some tendencies which are called the divine tendencies, Devi Sampatti, or the divine wealth, following which brings about the well-being of the human being. And there is this demoniac tendency following which brings about a downfall of the human being. So this is a peculiar situation for human being. That he can help himself or he can hurt himself also. This is a result of the freedom that we are given. The freedom to choose. We call the free will. The freedom to make choices. If we use wisdom in making choices, then we help ourselves. If we do not use wisdom, we hurt ourselves. <clears throat> so, Prabhupada Upanishad says, Dvayaha Prajapatyaha Devascha Asurascha These two are the progenies of Prajapati, the creator. The Devas, Asuras, the gods and the demons. Asura is a word which can be explained as Asu and Ra. Actually Asura means which is not Sura is called Asura. But Asura also can be explained as Asu and Ra. Asu means air, means prana, the vital air. The vital air that we are breathing in and out is, is called Asu. And here it stands for the sense organs. Sense organs of perception. Sense organs of action. So Asu means the sense organs. And it also means then the sense objects. So Asu Ra. Asushu Ramanteyate Asuraha. Those people who always revel in sense objects or sense pleasures, they are called Asuraha. So, Dvayaha Prajapatyaha, 
twofold are the children of progeny of Prajapati the creator, Devascha, Asurascha, Devas the gods, and Asuras the demons. Tataha Kani Asaha Eva Deva, however, these Devas, the divine ones, are always fewer in numbers. Jayasaha Asuraha, whereas the demons are always in greater numbers. Like in the battle between Pandavas and Kauravas, the Pandavas are only five, fewer in numbers. Kauravas are one hundred, large in numbers. The Eshu Lokeshu Asparasanta, they always compete in this world. They compete with each other to conquer the world. The Devatas and Asuras always fight and compete with each other to conquer the world. Thus we find in our Puranas, we see, read the descriptions of the battles, ongoing battles between the Devatas and Asuras. They also symbolize the battle going on in our own mind also. We have both these kind of tendencies, as this chapter will describe. There are in us these tendencies, such as daya or compassion, kindness, non-violence, truthfulness, these are called the divine tendencies. And one who possesses them, possesses the divine wealth. At the same time, we also have the opposite tendencies. I have kindness also, but sometimes I also act in a cruel way, so cruelty also is there. Sometimes I am very generous or charitable, but sometimes I am very greedy also. So we find that these two opposing tendencies are there in our own self in our own mind. Therefore, the mind can be said to be like a battlefield where there is a constant conflict going on between these two opposing tendencies. It is that kind of a battle that is symbolized by the battle between the Pandavas and Kauravas also. Upanishad says, Sometimes the gods win, sometimes the demons win. Sometimes it happens that, in spite of temptations, we are able to assert our values. You have decided to observe fast for the whole day, and tempting food comes before you. That is not fast, you are only eating fruits. It is ekadashi, eating fruits, falahar. So you are sitting at a dining table along with other members of the family and they have the rest regular food, good food. And the aroma of that food naturally enters your nose also and tempts you. Your mouth is watering. And then mother will say, come on now, forget it. Why are you observing fast? This is nice, you know. They always, they're always kind, they always, you know. 
So if part of you says, forget about the fasting, let me eat this food, I like, I love that. And somehow I find myself very hungry also. So thus one part of me says, give up this fast, enjoy, enjoy this food. Whereas other part of me says, no, you've taken a vow of observing fast, meaning that only eating fruits, don't do that. So this is what then goes on in my mind. One part of me says, enjoy the food. Other part of me says, observe self-control. Sometimes I'm able to observe self-control. I say, no, ma'am, no, not for me today. Look at this. Today there are pakoras, specially things that you like. Again, you know, that fellow inside said, come on, enjoy the pakoras. But if I say, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to eat my fruits and no cooked food today. Suppose I can assert my vow. Then you can say there's a victory. The devutas have won the battle. Sometimes I give up because the temptation is too much and I forego my vow, submit myself to the temptation and enjoy that food. In that case the asuras, the demons are won. Thus this battle between the gods and demons, meaning the divine tendencies and the demoniac tendencies is constantly going on. At every moment, in fact, I have the freedom, whether to be kind or to be cruel. When somebody comes to me, I have the freedom, whether to help the person or hurt the person. Whether to help the person or help myself, one one way or the other. So somebody's mind will work like this. When somebody approaches them, the mind thinks, well, how can I use this person to my advantage? Somebody else's mind may think that, how can I help this person? Our Swamiji says, when somebody comes to me, the first thought in my mind is, how can I help this person? Whereas, for somebody else, whenever anybody comes, he, has a, he looks for an opportunity. How can I benefit from this person? So in one case, there is this charity, generosity. Another case, there is the selfishness. So understand that at every moment, as a matter of fact, it is not only on the specific occasions when I, when my resolve to speak truth, etc. is tested, but almost every moment I have the freedom to entertain either a divine tendency or submit to my devilish tendency. The battle is constantly going on. And that battle we have to win. It's important that we have to win this battle. The question is, why the 16th chapter of the Gita? Because the subject matter of Gita has been discussed in the 15 chapters. You know what the subject matter of Bhagavad Gita is? 
Bhagavad Gita is said to be the essence of all the Upanishads. There is a traditional verse that says, if all the Upanishads are compared to cows, then Bhagavad Gita is a milk of the cows. Sarvopanishado gavaha dogdha gopalanandana. If all the Upanishads are compared to cows, then Lord Krishna is the cowherd boy milking the cows of Upanishads. And Bhagavad Gita is the milk of the Upanishads, is the essence of all the Upanishads. In fact, not only Upanishads, we can say that Bhagavad Gita is the essence of all the Vedas. The Upanishads generally do not deal with Karma Yoga, etc. Whereas Bhagavad Gita deals in great detail with Karma Yoga also. So Bhagavad Gita is the essence of all the Vedas. And what is the central teaching of the Vedas? What is the central teaching of the Upanishads? Expressed in one simple statement, Tattvamasi, that thou art. The Upanishads teach us that you are Brahman, you are limitless. This is what is taught, that you are limitless and you are limitless. Whoever can be addressed as you is limitless. The table and chair, these inert objects do not have mind, so we cannot say you, had they had the mind, we can say you are Brahman also. Meaning that whatever is, is Brahman, is limitless. Purnam is nothing but Purnameva Avashyasyade, is all manifestation of one wholeness, one completeness. So this teaching is expressed in this very short but profound statement called Mahavakya Tattvamsi, that thou art. And the traditional teachers explain to us that Bhagavad Gita is a, an exposition of this simple statement or this, this short statement. The statement is three words, Tattvamsi, that Thou art. So that stands for Ishvara. Thou stands for Jiva. And R shows the equation between Jiva and Ishvara. Following that, in the first six chapters of Bhagavad Gita, we find an exposition of the Tum, or you, the Self. The first six chapters primarily concern themselves with the discussion of the nature of self, nature of Atma. What's the nature of self? Najayate mriyate va kadasit ajo nityaya purana Bhagavad Gita says that the self is ajaha, is birthless. Nityaya, eternal. Shashvataya purana Without growth and decay, changeless. The self is changeless. Self is consciousness. Self is limitless. This is what the first six chapters teach us. The self is actionless. And to know the self, the means that are required, karma yoga and dhyana yoga, they are also taught. The second chapter, the third chapter, the fifth chapter, 
they taught the karma yoga. The sixth chapter taught the dhyana yoga, the yoga of meditation. So in the first six chapters we find a detailed treatment of the nature of the self and also the means of knowing the self. The means is karma yoga, performing action, performing dedicated action. Consecrated action, they say, performing action as in, in the spirit of worship, as an offering. Dhyana yoga, the concentration of the mind, so that you can concentrate upon the self and contemplate upon the self. This was the, the subject matter of the first six chapters, where Tvam, or Dhao, or you, or the self was the subject matter. The second six chapters, from seven to the twelfth, that the subject matter is Ishvara, that, where it is said that all there is is Ishvara. There is nothing other than Ishvara. That Ishvara is both transcendent as well as immanent. One without a second. And the means of knowing that Ishvara is Bhakti Yoga. Thus we, talk, we are also taught Bhagavan, Ishvara, Bhakti Yoga, the Yoga of Devotion. And the description of Bhakta, the devotee. So middle six chapters primary talk about Tatpada or what is indicated by Tat, Brahman or Ishvara. And then the following three chapters, the 13th, 14th and 15th. These three chapters talk about the equation between Tat and Tvam, meaning that they reveal the identity between Tat and Tvam, reveal the identity between the Self and Ishvara, Self and Brahman. The thirteenth chapter, Lord Krishna said, Kshetrajnam Chabhimam Vidhi Sarvakshetreshu Bharata Here, Juna, know that I, Ishvara, this Lord, is the Self of all the beings. So, thirteenth, fourteenth and fifteenth. These three chapters reveal the Asipada or the meaning of the word Tha'art, meaning the equation between Tat and Tvam, the identity between the two. And that way, in the fifteen chapters, the whole subject matter of Gita is concluded. Why does Lord Krishna continue with 16th chapter? It is because, in spite of this teaching, which is very elaborate, in spite of the discourses given in the first 15 chapters, if the knowledge has still not taken place, if the student still has not gained the knowledge, So in spite of teaching, if the knowledge does not take place, then either what the Upanishad says is not right, or maybe the student is not prepared to gain this knowledge. It's a second case that 
the student is not prepared and that is why in spite of teaching the knowledge does not take place. This was said by Lord Krishna in the 15th chapter. Utkramantam sthitam vapi bhunjanam va gunanvitam vimudaha nanu pasyandi pasyandi jnana chakshushaha The self is right here. I am the self. Utkramantam, departing from the body. Sthitam, remaining in the body. Enjoying the various sense objects. That is the self. Is it closer than the closest? Vimudaha, nanupashanti. Even then, the people who are extrovert, who are deluded, they fail to see the self, which is their own self. Pashyanti, jnana chakshushaha. On the other hand, those who have the eye of knowledge, they see the self. Yatanto yoginascenam pashyantyatmanyavasthitam. The yogis or the aspirants who are striving, they see the self as shining in their own heart. Yatanto bi akritatmanaha nainam pashyanti achetasaha. However, those whose mind is not pure, and therefore those who do not have the discrimination, they, in spite of striving, do not see the self. Meaning that it is possible that in spite of our exposing ourselves to the teaching, even for a length of time, the knowledge may not take place. Actually, the Shastra scriptures is called Pramanam, is called the means of knowledge. Means of knowledge means that which produces the, 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 the true knowledge. Eyes are the Pramanam, means of knowledge for knowing the color. And therefore, eyes will tell, eyes tell me, this is the orange color, this is white color, this is pink color, this is green color. Eyes. So whenever the eyes, the means of knowledge, and the object, whenever there is a contact between the two, then the knowledge or cognition takes place. Right now these words are being spoken. Your faculty of hearing is the means of knowledge for knowing these words, and therefore the cognition of words takes place. So we are told that the scripture is a pramanam, means of knowledge for knowing the self. Then when we hear the teaching, the knowledge should take place. The scripture should create the knowledge. Still it does not create because then there is something lacking, something lacking in us. For example, even when I look at the object, it is possible that the cognition may not take place. If there is a defect in my eyes, Suppose I am suffering from cataract, it is possible that even the object is in front of me, I may fail to see it. Sometimes when there is one object, I see two there also. So even though eyes are the means of knowledge for perceiving the colors and forms, if that means of knowledge such as eyes is defective, then in spite of the object being there, knowledge may not take place. 
In this case also, even though we expose ourselves to the teaching, if our mind is not ready, it is not only the scripture, but the mind along with scripture becomes a means of knowledge. If our mind is not ready, then in spite of exposing ourselves to teaching, the knowledge does not take place. So in the 15 chapters, Lord Krishna has unfolded the nature of reality, nature of truth, nature of self. And suppose in Arjuna, yet the knowledge is not taken place. Or in any student, the knowledge is not taken place, then they don't stop their discourse. They don't say, go home, it's bad luck, I'm sorry. Because the way, the Vedanta is a teaching tradition. What is meant by teaching tradition is, the teacher has a commitment to see that the student knows. It is not like a professor whose commitment is only to give out the lecture and if the students understand, well and good. Don't understand, well, hard luck. But a teacher of Vedanta has a commitment. The student should know. That's the whole purpose of teaching. He's not teaching for some salary or he's not teaching because he has any personal axe to grind. The teaching is purely for the benefit of the student. And therefore, the teacher finds that the student has not yet quite gained that knowledge. Then he continues to expound that in different ways, which also is done in Bhagavad Gita. In fact, in Bhagavad Gita we find that very often the same theme is repeated more in more than one places. Some people do find that Bhagavad Gita is a repetitive text, Swamiji. It's not called repetition. But it is the attempt on the part of the teacher to make sure that the student sees. So in spite of all of that, the student still does not see. That means that some preparation is required on the part of the student. What is that preparation? That preparation is in the form of the purification of mind. Akrutatmanaha, asamskrutatmanaha, those whose mind is not samskritam, those whose mind is not culture or not purified, they do not gain the knowledge, but those whose mind is pure, they do gain the knowledge. Therefore, the 16th chapter is started by Lord Krishna. To help the student bring about a purification of mind. What is meant by purification of mind? That from the mind, this asuri, this demoniac tendency should go and the mind should become predominant in the divine tendencies. In the 14th chapter, it was described that our mind is made up of these three gunas, sattva, rajas and tamas. Our mind has three dispositions, sattvic disposition, rajas disposition, tamas disposition. When the mind enjoys sattva, then there is peace and tranquility and discernment. That is when the mind is 
most prepared to discern and to understand things. Sarudvareshu Dehismin Prakasha Upajayate Jnanam Yadatada Vidyat Vivruddham Sattvamityuda When you find that your sense organs, your mind, they are all alert, they enjoy tranquility and they are, they are able to grasp and understand what is being told, understand that then the mind is sattvic. On the other hand, when the mind is predominant in rajas, lobaha, pravrutti, arambaha, then there is greed, there is restlessness, there is, there is attachment to pleasures, there is a drive to, to do something, there is a drive to achieve and acquire and enjoy, then there are ambitions in the mind. So when the mind is greed, restlessness, is driven. It's one thing that you are motivated to do something, it's another thing that you are driven to do something. That is called rajas. The mind does not enjoy peace, does not enjoy tranquility. That mind is not suitable for gaining knowledge. And tamas, when the mind is dull, it is dark, it is inert, it is, it has no motivation at all. There is, uh, there is laziness, lethargy. That is called the, that is the mind where it is predominant tamas. So sattva, rajas and tamas. So the mind is predominantly sattvic. Then there are these divine tendencies. As Lord Krishna will describe, then there is ahimsa, non-violence, satyam, truthfulness, Akrodaha, lack of freedom from anger. Automatically these things are there when the mind is sattvic. And that is what is required for gaining this knowledge. Swamiji, we don't have this kind of requirements when we go to university. In studying physics, I never require this kind of things. Nobody asked me that you need to purify your mind. How come this, this is required for gaining this knowledge? This is not required for gaining knowledge of physics and chemistry. That's the difference. Difference between the knowledge of objective sciences and the knowledge of the subject of the self. Because the objective sciences, things are external, extrovert and therefore you do not require that kind of tranquility or introvertedness of the mind. Whereas here, the mind should be inward looking, mind should be abiding, mind should enjoy that peace and tranquility, then alone it can discern the nature of the self. So mind should be sattvic, it should be pure. Really speaking, sattva is the nature of the mind. By nature, the mind is sattvic, mind is pure. But this rajas and tamas, the raga and dvesha, the attachment and aversion, they are intruders. The rajas and tamas or the demoniac tendency is not the nature of the mind. The mind, by its own nature, is divine. However, on account of living unintelligently, on account of ignorance, on account of wrong 
wrong values, wrong priorities, on account of aviveka or non-discernment. This ragadveshas, the attachments, aversions, this anger, greed, all of these have entered the mind, they are intruders. But then, having entered the mind, they seem to have taken the control of the mind. Right now, they seem to be ruling my mind. But since they are intruders, we can get rid of them. We can get rid of them provided we first recognize them. That is why the 16th chapter is meant to help us recognize these different kinds of tendencies. The sattvic tendency, the rajasi tendency, the tamasi tendency. The sattvic tendency are called the divine tendencies. The rajasi are called the asuri or demoniac tendencies. And tamas is called rakshasi, sattva, rajas and tamas. The daivi sampatti, asuri sampatti, rakshasi. So daivi prakruti, asuri prakruti, rakshasi prakruti. You heard the word Rakshasa also. Deva, Asura and Rakshasa. When the mind has Asuri Sampatti, Rajoguna, then there is the tendency of seeking pleasure. As I said, there is greed, there is seeking pleasure, there is all kinds of action or activity, there is Rajoguna. Whereas when the mind has Tamas, then there is also cruelty there. And so, one is predominant in cruelty, the Rakshasas. One is predominant in sense gratification, Asuras. One is predominant in knowledge, that is the Devatas. So, Devas, Asuras, Rakshasas. Asurim, Rakshasim Chaiva, Prakritim, Mohinim Siddhaha. Lord Krishna mentioned that in the ninth chapter also. <coughs> Here, however, instead of describing three, Lord Krishna describes it two, Devi and Asuri. That Asuri and Rakshasi, both of these are lumped together. And Lord Krishna describes it, Devi and Asuri, the two kinds of tendencies. We can say two kinds of wealth. The reason why that is done is because Upanishads also talked about the twofold progeny of the Prajapati, the Devaha and Asuraha, therefore, Lord Krishna also follows here the same Deva, Devi and Asuri Sampatti. <coughs> Devyaha Adanaya Itareho Parivarjanaya. Therefore, Lord Krishna thinks that we should first of all recognize these tendencies when they arise in our mind so that I can decide, hey, this is Devi Sampatti. I should support it, I should strengthen it, I should nourish it. If this is the Asuri Sampatti, I should get rid of it. This is the Rakshasi, demoniac tendency, I should get rid of it. So this kind of process should constantly go on in our mind. So Vedantic Sadhana is that we are constantly, first of all, as different thoughts, or tendencies arise in our mind. We should be able to identify them as sattvic, rajasi or tamasi, or devi, asuri or rakshasi. 
and then we should get rid of the asuri and rakshasi tendencies and support the sattvic or daivi tendencies. To enable us to do that is the purpose of the 16th chapter. That is why the 16th chapter he started. To help the students recognize the various tendencies in his or her mind so that we can get rid of the undesirable tendencies and strengthen the desirable tendencies. <coughs> because the sattvic or devit sampatti is conducive for knowledge and liberation. On the other hand, the asuri or the demoniac tendency is conducive to bondage and suffering. His choice between the freedom and bondage or liberation and bondage or happiness and suffering. <clears throat> that is why important to be able to recognize these tendencies. So let us read the in the first three verses Lord Krishna describes the Devi Sampat or the divine tendencies. I will read and you please repeat after me. Shri Bhagavanu Vacha Abhayam Sattvasam Shuddhi Jnana Yoga Vyavasthiti Dhanam Damascha Yajnascha Svadhyayastapa Arjavam Ahimsa Satya Makrodaha Tyagashantira Paishunam Dayabhuteshvalo Luptvam Mardavam Hrira Chapalam Tejahakshamadhrutishaucham Adroho nati manita Bhavanti sampadam daivim Abhijatasya bharata Bhavanti sampadam daivim the last line of the third verse said that this is Devim Sampatim, Sampatim, this is Devim Sampadam, this is a divine wealth. Sampat means Sampati, meaning the wealth. Devim Sampadam, the divine wealth. Abhijatasya Bharata, Herjuna, so one who is born with divine wealth shows, will find these tendencies. If you are born with the divine wealth, you will find these tendencies in us predominantly. Meaning the person who is born with the predominance of divine tendency or divine sampatti or the divine wealth will find these tendencies in him or her. <coughs> in these three verses, Lord Krishna describes some 25 different uh, traits and 
This is also been a constant theme of Bhagavad Gita. Wherever Lord Krishna gets the chance, he describes these divine tendencies. He started from the second chapter itself, where Lord Krishna described this Sthita Pragna, the man of wisdom. There also this divine tendency were described. The fifth chapter also, fourth chapter also, here and there, even third chapter also. But predominantly we again find a twelfth chapter where Lord Krishna described the traits of a bhakta or a devotee in the last eight verses of twelfth chapter, these tendencies were described. Advesta Sarabhutanam Maitraha Karunaha. In these verses, these tendencies are described. Again, the fourteenth chapter, describing the Gunatita, Lord Krishna described them to some extent. In the fifteenth chapter also. So, earlier in other chapters also, Lord Krishna has described these tendencies. But here, all of these are summarized together. It begins with abhayam, fearlessness. Meaning a person who has sattvic mind, person who enjoys the predominance of sattva, will be free from fear. So Lord Krishna mentions abhayam, fearlessness, as the very first thing. In the true sense, fearlessness can be only enjoyed by a wise person, in the true sense. Because Upanishad says, Dvitiyadvai bhayam bhavati, the fear arises whenever there is a second. Dvitiyadvai bhayam bhavati, fear arises from the second. Meaning that whenever I look upon anybody else as different from me, as separate from me, then there is a possibility of fear arising. There cannot be fear from my own self. In short, I cannot have fear from my own self. If as you say in the morning, I saw everyone and everything as myself, which is, which is a fact, because of my self-growth and the wisdom, I grow to such an extent as to include everything as a self. See, the Vedantic teaching is all inclusive. It excludes nothing. It is not that the good people are seen as myself. Whatever there is in the universe is nothing but the manifestation of myself. So there are stories of of the sages in whose ashramas there is a description that these animals who are naturally enemy to each other like a lion and a lamb they used to be together. Yoga Shastra also describes that when non-violence reaches its ultimate then there is created an atmosphere of non-violence where even the animals forget their natural enmity. And they describe how the lions and lambs also 
are living side by side. It is possible. When is possible? That means that the sage has no fear of the lion because he sees his self there is also. This is the possibility. This is ultimate. Where a person totally becomes free from fear from anything or anybody because he does not see anything as separate from himself. Wherever the separatedness is there, there is fear. Our Swamiji is fond of saying this, that in the 11th chapter, Arjuna requested Lord Krishna to show his cosmic form. And Lord Krishna immediately obliged and showed the cosmic form that Arjuna could see. In fact, Lord Krishna even granted him the divine vision so he could see that form. And Arjuna could see in the, in the, in the body of Lord Krishna the entire cosmos. But after a while, Arjuna got frightened because he found that the Lord's form was ferocious form. He got frightened. Even though it is his friend, even though it is Lord Krishna, and still he got frightened because he still looks upon Lord Krishna as separate from himself. So wherever Dvitiya, wherever the separatedness is there, there is always a potential of fear. So Abhayam, Fearlessness in the ultimate sense is possible when one gains the knowledge of non-duality, when in one's perception there is nothing that stands separate from the self, where everything is recognized as the manifestation of one's own self. And there cannot be fear from my own self. But no Swamiji, there is fear. In fact, I am afraid when I am alone. I'm the only one there and still I'm afraid. Sometimes we have that experience, you know, that alone and you are in fact scared. Somebody is better if somebody else is there than if you safe. But the thing is, I'm afraid when I'm alone because there is a possibility of someone other than me. Even when I'm afraid, when I'm alone, I'm not afraid of myself. I'm afraid of a possibility of someone else being there and I feel that I cannot protect myself, I feel insecure, but that also is fear from another one. Dvityadvi bhayam bhavati, the fear arises from a second one. So abhayam, fearlessness in the primary sense is possible only when there is a knowledge of non-duality. However, we have also, fear is a very common thing. And fear arises from attachment. There was a great sage, his name was Bhartruhari. And he describes how everything in the universe can be a source of fear. Sarvam vastu bhayanvitam bhuvindranam vairagya mevabhayam. Sarvam vastu bhayanvitam. Everything in the universe is pervaded by fear. Human beings are afraid of every possible thing. Or everything becomes the cause of fear for the human being. Vairagya meva abhayam. That is abhayam or freedom of fear 
freedom from fear when there is vairagya or when there is freedom from raga and dvesha, freedom from attachment and aversion. In short, it is raga and dvesha, attachment and aversion that creates fear. So whenever there is fear in mind, we can ask a question. What is it that I am attached to? What is it that I am not willing to let go? What is attachment? Attachment is when I am holding on to something. Attachment is when my happiness or well-being or security or comfort depends upon something. When it is important for me to have that thing or a person, then only I can feel happy or comfortable. In that case, that very same thing which I look upon as source of comfort or security becomes the cause of my fear. By the possibility of separation. What if it goes away? What if it is not there? Bhoge rogabhayam kule chutibhayam vitte nrupaladbhayam when there is excessive attachment to wealth, Bhartavari says, there is fear from the income tax, from the king, because the king may come and take away the wealth. Bhoge rogabhayam, when there is excessive attachment to bhoga or the pleasure, there is always fear of disease, because excess in pleasure brings about the roga or the disease. Kule chutibhayam, when I am highly attached to my kula or my my clan or my family, my lineage, then there is all the fear that I might do something which is not worthy of my me. Like everything becomes cause of fear. If there is attachment to my knowledge, I feel that I am a very knowledgeable person. There is all the fear of somebody who may challenge my knowledge. Jnane vadabhayam. Vada means when somebody challenges me. Always fear of a challenger. Whenever I have an attachment to my knowledge. <clears throat> when there is attachment to my strength, then also there is fear from somebody who may challenge me. When there is attachment to my body, always fear from death. When excessive attachment to my looks, fear from old age. And so, this old age, you know, the Vriddhavastha. Rupe Jaraya Bhayam, when Rupa means my appearance or my beauty, when there is an attachment to that, jarayaha bhayam, always fear from old age, because it will rob me away of the beauty. Kaye krutantad bhayam, when attachment to kaya or the body, krutanta means death, always fear of death. Like this, many things are listed. How attachment to various things causes fear. But, the lesson is that fear arises from attachment. And we should also add there, 
fear also arises because of aversion. Attachment is when I cannot do without something. Then that thing becomes cause of fear because of a possibility of separation. What is aversion or dvesha when I cannot stand something? Then also fear arises with the possibility of, of association. So when I hate something, there is a fear, I may be stuck with that. When some people write to us that we are going to visit you and be your guest for three days, there is a fear, what will happen when these fellows will come? You know the nature of these people, what they talk and very quarrelsome, how to deal with that? This girl always had fear, whenever his, her father announced that he is visiting, she was always in tension, you know. She never knew what he will say. So some people cause fear because of the possible association and some cause fear because of possibility of separation. Whether it is attachment, fear is caused by the possibility of separation. Not separation, possibility of separation. And when there is aversion, fear is caused by the possibility of association. And this always happens. Because we cannot control separation or association. Therefore, fear is always there. In short, raga, dveshas, attachment and aversion, they cause fear. Abhyam, the fearlessness is possible when we give up this attachment and aversion. <coughs> At least whenever fear arises in our mind, we can ask this question. What am I attached to? What is I am not willing to let go? Something I want to hang on to and that wants to go away from me. Or something I want to avoid and it wants to come to me. So Lord Krishna says, Prasad Buddhi. Agate Swagadam Kuriyat Gachintam Nanivarayat. When something comes, welcome that. When something goes, let it go. Whatever comes is Prasada, grace of Ishvara. Whatever goes, also is grace of Ishvara. It is prasada buddhi, looking upon whatever is as the prasada of the Ishvara that enables me to slowly free myself from the reactions of ragadveshas and that's how slowly I can become free from fear. <coughs> so of him, freedom from fear is the very first value or the very first divine trait that Lord Krishna describes. We'll continue our discussion tomorrow. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namah Hari Om